going through a series about uh, questions that Christians may ask. I uh, asked the church to give me questions of questions about their faith or the Bible or some sort of spiritual question. And uh, one of the questions we're going to talk about today is found in John 6, some some strange verses that we read. We're going to read John 6, 47 through 58. Let's see what Jesus has to say today. John 6, starting in verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This bread, which comes down from heaven, so that no, so one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who eats me also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as, fathers, not as the fathers ate and died, he who eats this bread will live forever. Let me pray over these verses. God, we come to you and acknowledge that your word is difficult. And sometimes it's hard to hear. Sometimes we may not understand. I pray today that you would give us clarity of mind and that we would understand what these words mean so that we will leave closer to you than when we came in. Speak to our hearts. Move in our, our minds so that we can understand. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So how many of you know your blood type? Does anyone? Okay, good, good. I'm, I found, I gave blood this week. I'm O positive, whatever that might mean. I told them that means the bag is half full instead of half empty. I don't know, whatever, you know, when you're filling the blood. Anyway, um, did you know that people with type O blood are twice as likely to be bitten by mosquitoes? But type O are least likely to contract malaria. So that's... Interesting, I don't know why. And type O negative can be donated to any person of any other blood type. Uh, type O negative is the universal donor. If you're type O, they need your blood, is what they say. People with type A blood tend to have higher cortisol levels than those of other blood types. Cortisol is a stress-relieving hormone. And type A blood is also least attractive to mosquitoes, which is maybe why they have less stress, because they're not bothered by the mosquitoes. I don't know. I, I don't know. I've also read that the likelihood of those with type AB blood 
developing memory problems that lead to dementia is 4%, but type AB blood is also the rarest type with only 1% of people having it. So that's, it's just rare, AB. And we could go on with fascinating information about blood and the blood types, but no matter how interesting it is, it's blood, right? It's gross. It can be, right? For, for some of us, they can't, there's people who see blood, they can't handle it. Jesus said in John 6, 54, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in that day. And if you were standing there in front of Jesus, and he would have said that, and he said, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, you would say, you want me to eat and drink what? (laughs) Right? What? What are you talking about? Are Are you talking about cannibalism? Because early Christians were accused of being cannibals because of verses like this. And the questions that I received, there was one that said something like this, John in John 6.54, he says, He who eats my blood and drinks, eats my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal life. I'll raise him on the last day. How do we eat and drink of Jesus' flesh and blood? Please explain. And maybe that's something that you had a question about as well, or maybe you didn't know until you read this verse, and then you say, I've got some questions about this now. What in the world is he talking about? Well, we're going to try to talk about that today and figure, figure out what this means. So how do we understand this text? How do we apply these things to us? So let's first, about, let's first talk about what these verses do not mean. That's, that's sometimes a good place to start. It doesn't mean these things, and then we'll talk about what they do mean. Jesus is saying some shocking stuff here, and we can see that by the response of the crowd. We're going to get that to, to in a minute. They did not understand him, and we don't want to be like these listeners. So to begin with, this is not a reference to literal eating or drinking. Okay, That should be obvious, but sometimes it's not. This is not a reference to literal eating or drinking. If we listen to what the the listeners, they were not clear. And in verse 52, it says the Jews said, well, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They were saying he's talking literally. He wants us to eat his actual flesh. How can he do that? Not only that, but the, the law told us we can't be eating flesh and drinking blood. So what is this about? Well, in verse 32 and 33, a little bit before our text, Jesus starts talking about another bread from heaven. Like he was talking about manna, something that was like the manna that will give life to people. And they said, we want that bread. We, We want the bread that we can just go out on the ground and gather up. I mean, they were looking back, the people in Jesus' day they were under Roman rule. They might not have had all that they, they wanted as far as food goes. And they look back to when they were traveling around in Egypt thousands of years before then, and they heard stories of how they would just come out of the tent and gather up of, of, of bread from the ground. And they said, that would be awesome. Would it not be awesome when you said, I need to make dinner Let me go out and pick up this pot roast from the ground. Okay, now it's time to eat. Wouldn't that be awesome? 
Those who cook at your house? Yeah, it's like, ah, that would, well, I want that kind of food, right? That's what they're saying. I want the kind of food that's just right here, and it's easy. They said, We're, we want that bread. Where do we get that bread? And then Jesus says, listen, I am that bread. You need to eat of me. And then they said, I, I don't understand. They, they thought he was literally speaking of eating and, and drinking and literal bread. And that's not what this is a reference to. And it became so difficult for them to get their minds around. Verse 60 says this, Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? And later, in verse 66, As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. He had large crowds following him around. And he says, you need to eat my flesh, drink my blood. They took it literally, and they said, we're done with this guy. And they stopped following him. He goes to the disciples and says, are you leaving too? They said, we can't. Who else has the words of life? But he lost a lot of people because of this difficult statement. And the problem still exists today. Some believe that this passage is referring to a literal eating and drinking. There's there's a false doctrine called transubstantiation. It's a long word, but what it means is that there there are those who believe that in the act of the Lord's Supper, that miraculously the bread and the cup miraculously turn into the actual body and actual blood of Christ. Because this says you have to eat his flesh and drink his blood to have eternal life. So they believe miraculously the elements turn to his literal flesh, literal blood, and therefore you must eat that to have eternal life. Now that creates lots of problems. First off, the taking the literal passage that's not meant to be literal. Second, to say you must take the Lord's Supper to receive eternal life. Because the rest of Scripture does not say that. Rest of Scripture says we are saved by grace through faith, not by works so that no one can boast. And so it's not what we do. And they believe, those who hold to this, that God's grace comes through the act of taking the supper. They call it the Eucharist. That's why we don't call it the Eucharist. That's from the Greek words that means grace comes through. And they believe in the act of eating and drinking of the Lord's Supper, that's when God's grace comes to them. And it's a doctrine that's based in the works of what a person does instead of the grace of God. Jesus is not talking about a literal eating and a literal drinking of his flesh and blood. So first off, that's not what it's in a reference to. Second, what, um, what else is it not in reference to? This is not a reference to the Lord's Supper. We're having the Lord's Supper today, and I paired this text with it, not because it speaks of the Lord's Supper, but because it doesn't. <laughs> and we confuse it sometimes, thinking that because he talked about flesh and blood and eating and drinking, it must be a reference to the Lord's Supper. It is not. It is not a reference to the Lord's Supper because Jesus talks about uh, of eating the flesh, drinking the blood. It's not equated to that. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all retell the, the Last Supper of Jesus. 
you read Matthew, you read Mark, you read Luke, and you hear Jesus speaking. Take, eat, this is my body, which is for you, do in remembrance of me. Those, those words that we, we say at the Lord's Supper. Each one of those retell the, the Last Supper. John does not. John says they got together, they had supper, and they left. That's, he just kind of tells what happened, but he doesn't, he doesn't retell the story. He doesn't replay it, so to speak. And because he doesn't, many people think this text then is the institution of the Lord's Supper in John. Now there's a, a pastor and author by the name of A.W. Pink who lived long ago in the 19th century and uh, maybe early 20th century. And he gives us some reasons why this passage is not a reference to Lord's Supper. I'll just mention three of them real briefly. First of all, it's not in reference to Lord's Supper because Jesus had not instituted the Lord's Supper, right? We, we'll read in Colossians that says, On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He institutes the Last Supper on the last night of his life here on earth before he's crucified. And so this is not the institution of the Lord's Supper because Jesus hadn't instituted it yet. And so first, that's one reason why it's not. Second, Jesus in this passage is talking to unbelievers. He's saying, if you want eternal life, you have to eat this bread and drink this cup. But as we look in the instructions in 1 Corinthians for the Lord's Supper, it is for believers. It is for those who have come to know Christ and it is for those to celebrate what Christ has done. But it is not, the Lord's Supper is not for unbelievers. So Jesus is speaking to unbelievers, but the Lord's Supper is for believers. So this is not in reference to the Lord's Supper. And last, he says many times in this John 6 passage that eating and drinking in these verses bring eternal life. Whatever eating and drinking is, it is what produces eternal life in us. And again, nothing we do produces eternal life. You can spend your day eating all the bread and drinking all the cups that we have today, and it will produce not a spiritual spark within you as far as life goes. It will not produce eternal life. It is an important celebration that we do, but it is not how we gain eternal life. It's not how we keep eternal life. It has nothing really to do about eternal life except the celebration we have it and we will never lose it. That's what the Lord's Supper is. And so this passage does not mean literal eating and drinking, and it's not a reference to the Lord's Supper. So what do these verses mean? What do these verses mean? Well, let's, let's think about the context here, John 6. And if we look at John chapter 6, we see that it, it begins, or pretty close to the beginning, Jesus, yeah, at the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 men. Scripture says he, he fed 5,000 men. Um, there's probably women and children there. There was more. And he fed 5,000 people because a young kid came up with five loaves and a couple of fish. And Jesus began to break that bread and pass it out and tear the fish and pass it out. And everyone had everything that they wanted to eat. 
They had been following Jesus for a while. They were hungry. They were going to faint. And Jesus told the disciples, go find them something to eat. They said, we can't. And he says, fine, I will. And he gives them bread and fish that it satisfies everyone so much so that he told the disciples, gather everything that's left. And each disciple had a basket full left over for themselves. Everyone had what they wanted and they were satisfied. John six fourteen and 15 says, Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, that is the breaking of the bread, they said, This truly This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. So Jesus, perceiving they were intended to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew to the mountain by himself alone. They said, this guy produces food miraculously, and we can eat all that we need and be satisfied. We're going to make him king, because then he can give us all the food we ever wanted. It'd be a kingdom of bread, right? There'd be baked bread. There'd be donuts. There'd be cinnamon rolls. There'd be, you know, all these baked goods. There was all this bread, and they're like, we love it. Let's make him king. And Jesus says, I didn't come for bread. The, mir- the, mirac- the, the miraculous feeding of the 5,000 was to point to a greater truth that he satisfies souls, that he feeds souls. And if you take of him, you will be satisfied. But they didn't grasp it. And so they followed him. They chased him down back and forth across the Sea of Galilee. And they finally caught up with him. And in John six twenty six and 27, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. And after this, the crowds were so focused on the feeding of the 5,000 and focused on bread, he begins to use metaphors that they can understand Their bellies were only thinking about breads, and their brains were kind of hooked up to that. And he says, okay, I'll start talking about bread. And he starts this analogy. And in John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. And he begins to change their focus from the physical bread to the spiritual bread. These are people who are wanting something more. They are hungering inside for more. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. If you want more from life, you got to come to me. And then he says in our verses today, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. In the most emphatic way he could say it, when he says, truly, truly, amen and amen, however your verses say it, he is saying, I am stating this as clear as it can be. If you want eternal life, there is only one way to get it, and it is through Jesus Christ. It is not through works. It is not through things you do. It is not through how much you pray or how much you read your Bible or how much you go to church. It is through Jesus Christ alone. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. 
he emphasizes that particular point. He's really clear about what these verses are talking about. And so when I say belief here, I'm not talking about someone who believes that there was a person named Jesus Christ who is in existence. That's not what belief means. There's people who believe that someone named Jesus was in existence. They might even believe that he died on a cross. They might even believe he rose from the dead. That's not belief. That's, that's mental assent. That's saying, I agree intellectually with all these points. When we were taught to share our faith, we, we were shown a picture of, of, uh, of what belief means. I, let's, let's say I've made a little boat. I've worked hard and I made a nice wooden boat, little sailboat that I have put a lot of time in and made a great boat. And I take it out to the ocean and I put it on the water and I start sailing in my boat. And it does pretty good for a while, but pretty soon a storm comes and it rages against me. And the, and the winds come and the, the waves come and, and it smashes my boat and it smashes it to a million pieces. And I grab hold of one piece of scrap lumber that was left there and I'm holding onto it floating, waiting for rescue. And I say, I think I'm doing pretty good here by myself, <laughs> Am I doing really good? No, I'm not. I'm as good as dead. I'm out in the middle of the ocean holding on to a piece of board. But thankfully, the Coast Guard watches, you know, fools who go out on, on the water and saw me go out and they came out and in, in a rescue vessel, they, they pull up beside me and they throw out a life preserver. And they say this, Let go of the wood and grab onto the life preserver. Now, I have a choice to make. I can either believe that I'm doing just fine and I'll be okay holding on to my piece of wood. Or I can say, by myself, I'm dead. But I'm going to grab hold of this life preserver and be rescued. And so I make the choice. I let go of my wood, I grab the life preserver, and they pull me up on deck, and I am rescued. Letting go of your little piece of wood, your, your, your good works, the things you do trying to make God like you, that's your little piece of wood, and it leads to death. But letting go of that and grabbing hold of the cross, where Jesus took all of our sins nailed it to the cross, and punished us for it, that is grabbing life. That is belief. It is letting go of your works, grabbing hold of Christ's work. That is belief that Jesus is talking about. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes, who lets go of his works, grabs hold of Christ, that person has eternal life. That is what Jesus is saying here. So belief in Christ, I want to make sure we know what we're talking about. Because John 6 says, believing in Christ is eternal life. And so in this passage, and I'm not saying every passage Jesus talk, where Jesus talks about it, but in this passage in John 6, when he says flesh and blood, he is talking about 
his sacrifice. So on your bulletin, you have Jesus's, I mean, flesh and blood equals, it equals Jesus's sacrifice. Flesh and blood in this passage is talking about the sacrifice Jesus made for us. That he was willing to offer himself up on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And so, when, to understand what he's talking about, when he talks about eating and drinking, he is talking about receiving Jesus' sacrifice. When he says, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, he is saying, if you want eternal life, you must receive the sacrifice of Christ and his work on the cross. It means you have to place your faith in that to get to heaven. And that there is no amount of work I can do, no amount of good that can outweigh my bad. But I'm going to trust in Christ. I'm going to transfer my trust. It's like if if you all came down, you, you all came down and sat in a pew. You placed your faith in that pew. You had no idea if that pew was going to hold you or not. But you took all your weight off your feet and you sat down on the pew and you transferred your trust to the pew. That is faith. That is receiving Christ's sacrifice. It's saying, I am not able to save myself. I'm transferring all my faith into Christ Jesus alone. Because we need to trust somebody who has beaten sin and who has beaten death. Jesus took on all of sin. All of death was nailed to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He got our sin, we received his righteousness. He took death, we received life. And when we trust in him, Jesus says, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Simply stating, eating and drinking Jesus' flesh and blood in this passage means what he's saying is you have to trust in me. Okay, now remember, this passage is not about the Lord's Supper. So what about the Lord's Supper? What is the Lord's Supper? Well, for that, we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians 11. That's where we'll be in our, on our passage today. It's the, it's the passage I use when we take the Lord's Supper. Paul says this, For I receive from the Lord... That which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Paul is recalling the last night of Jesus' life on earth before he was crucified. And he's teaching the church in Corinth to do the Lord's Supper in an orderly fashion because it had become a free-for-all. And he says, here is how it's supposed to be done. And he recalls Jesus' word, taking the bread, taking the cup, and he says, do this in remembrance of me. We take the Lord's Supper to remember. 
It is a remembrance. We talked in our Sunday school class today about how do we remember transformative events in our lives. One of the ways we do is regularly participate in the Lord's Supper. Because as we take this bread, it is a symbol of us receiving Christ's sacrifice. And as we drink this cup, it is a remembrance that Jesus' blood has washed us clean. And we celebrate it. We, we, we gather together and say we are joined together as believers in Christ. It is a practice for the marriage supper of the Lamb when we're going to go to heaven and spend eternity with each other and with the Father enjoying, uh, enjoying salvation. For the person who has eaten Jesus' blood or eaten Jesus' flesh and drank his blood and remember. That means they have trusted in Christ. For that person, the Lord's Supper is simply a symbolic remembrance that I have done that. That I have trusted in Christ. I'm not trusting in my works. I'm trusting in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That he came and that, that the second person of the Godhead came and indwelt human flesh. He had a real body. He got he, 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 he knew the joys of being human. He, knew, he knows the, the valleys of being a human. He, he hugged people. He got hungry. He, he, he uh, experienced everything the humans did. In fact, Hebrews says he was tempted in all ways, but without sin. His body means that he came and walked among us and died as a human to redeem humans. And the cup is a representation of his blood. We, wa- we sang, are you washed in the blood of the lamb? Recalling David's psalm, David's confession in Psalm 51, wash me and I will be white as milk. Purge me with hyssop. It's a reference to the going into the holy of holies where the priest would take the blood of the lamb once a year, and sprinkle it on the Holy of Holies to atone for all the people's sins. And he says that blood that is washed, the blood that is used to wash will wash us whiter than snow. It is a symbolic remembrance of that. The difference is the Lord's Supper is not how we become saved. If you are someone who has never trusted in Christ today, the Lord's Supper is not for you. And this sounds harsh, but you're not invited to participate. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians, he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. He said before that, I missed that verse, a man must examine himself, and in doing so, he is to eat the bread and drink the cup. This, this supper is for sinners, but it's for sinners who've been redeemed. The examination isn't, have I sinned? Because the answer is, you have, I have, we have sinned. The, the supper is, to, is for those who have examined and said, I have trusted in Christ, and I celebrate that. the examination, and if someone takes it and acts like they have taken in Jesus as their life, but hasn't, it's demeaning 
the sacrifice of Christ. And Paul says, God doesn't take that lightly. The bread and cup is symbolic of the decision we've made and it shows we've taken Christ into our life and he's become a part of every aspect. He's become the Lord of every aspect of our life. That's what the Lord's Supper is, is showing us. So let me give you just a, a few lessons that we can learn from John 6. John, we're going back to John 6. Um, and let's just think about what, what can we learn from this question. It's an important question. And so why? Let's, let's think about that. In John 6, where he talks about eating the flesh and drinking the blood that leads to eternal life. What can we learn? Well, first of all, we can learn that Jesus regards the spiritual more important than the physical. Jesus cares more about the spiritual than the physical. Jesus is concerned about us physically, but more importantly, he is concerned about the spiritual. The feeding of the 5,000 was to point to him as the giver of real life. It's not bread that's going to sustain them. It's the bread of life that's going to sustain them. And so it is a, it is a point to point them to the spiritual. And he used the miracle of feeding the 5,000 and the bread to teach them the spiritual truth that they really needed to know. Because if they walked away full and never trusted in Christ, they would be on their way to hell with full stomachs. And it doesn't, that doesn't make a difference eternally feet being full, but he wanted them to be satisfied spiritually with Christ. He regarded the spiritual more important. Second, faith in Christ is not a luxury, it's a necessity. He gave the 5,000 bread because they would have fainted. And again, he did that to teach us that if if we don't have the bread of life, we will faint. We cannot get through life without it. Faith in Christ isn't something we attempt to cram into a busy schedule. It takes priority over all aspects of our life. It's not a luxury that we can maybe fit in. It must be the necessity and have priority in everything. I don't know, I'm not going to ask how many ate breakfast this morning, but my guess is you got up and you ate. Why? Because you need to. And we'll leave and we'll probably go eat because we need nourishment. But more so spiritually. We don't fit it in when we can schedule it, when we can fit it in, or when it's convenient, it's a necessity. And when it's a necessity, something's a necessity, you make it work, right? You might be busy and you cram in a little snack just so you can get through the rest of the day. But we do the same thing spiritually. It might be busy, but take time and, and have feast on God's word. It's not a luxury, it's a necessity. Second, I mean third, faith is compared to ingesting. I know the ingestion, ingestion process isn't all that romantic when you talk about stomach and acid and all that stuff, but he's saying he didn't tell him to taste the bread of life or admire it and say, look how wonderful it is. He says, take it and 
eat it and let it become part of you. That's what he's talking about, ingesting it. It is not simply tasting Christ and seeing if he is something you want to put up with or, or just admiring, saying, boy, I really like that Jesus guy. I don't want him in my life, but I really like him. Faith is compared to ingesting it. And when you ingest something, it becomes part of you. It becomes who you are. What he's saying, you are what you eat. That is, that is the same in faith. And the last thing, last lesson we can learn from the John 6 passage is that faith brings satisfaction. Eating and drinking Jesus is compared to eating and drinking temporary. But faith in Christ doesn't give temporary relief. Faith in Christ gives eternal relief. He's saying if you ate the manna, that the fathers had, you're going to be hungry again. You eat the bread at the 5,000, by the end of the day, you're going to be hungry again. He says, but when you eat of me, you'll never hunger again. Faith brings satisfaction, he says. It's not a single meal in the sense that we're always growing, we always need it. But it is the sense that we have trusted Christ one time, we have put our faith in Him, and from that point on, we are His and we are growing. It's, it's being satisfied in Christ. So faith in Christ is a personal act. It's not about your parents. It's not about your spouse. It's not about your kids. It's about you. Placing your faith in Christ is whether you have placed your faith in Christ or not. Faith in Christ is a conscious act. You don't receive Christ through osmosis just by being close to it or putting the Bible under your head or something and it just kind of seeps in. It is a conscious act that says, I am now choosing Christ and then I'll follow him. It is a conscious act. To give him kingship, lordship of your life, giving him the reins of your life and saying, you take control. We're about to take the Lord's Supper. And it's reserved for those who have taken Christ into their life as their Lord, their King. And again, Paul says, a man should examine himself and in doing so, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats, eats and drinks judgment on himself if he doesn't judge the body rightly. And for this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. So I'm going to have you bow your heads and examine your heart. Sure, if you are, if there is sin in your life, what a better time to confess it and be rid of it than before the Lord's Supper. So if that's where you're at, we need to take time to do that. But more importantly, if you're someone who has never trusted in Christ, you've never made a decision to follow him, and say, God, I want you to be king. You direct my thoughts. You direct my actions. You direct my desires. You direct everything in my life. Because I've tried it, and I'm not succeeding. If that's where you're at today, turn your life over to him. That's who the Lord suffers for, those who have trusted in him. God, we come to you and ask that you would work in our hearts. 
God, I thank you that you made the way to salvation possible by sending Jesus. And because we could never do it ourselves, you sent Christ to do it for us so that we could trust in him and have our relationship with you. If there's someone who doesn't know you today, I pray that they would turn to you and trust in you. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.